I'm Steve Cunningham. I get to be the, the lead pastor here at Wellhouse. It's just a, it's a, it's a privilege. It's a blessing. It really is. Uh, we're able to do so many great things because uh, our, our partners here and our leadership here just committed to, really we're committed to living out what it means to be the life and body of Christ here in this community and in this world. We get to do that through a lot of different ways. And as you heard Chris talking about, one of the really cool things that we get to do is our second year doing this is a day for good. And what is that? If, if you weren't around last year, it's new to that, maybe you didn't get to participate, whatever that is. Uh, it's just an opportunity for us uh, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this community. So we get to serve uh, some of the, the local schools, uh, a foster um, family assistant network. They, they really need to shorten that. That makes it hard to remember all those words together. Uh, but they, they provide things to foster families uh, when they're in need. They, they take in a, uh, maybe a young baby and they need assistance with all the stuff that comes with that. And, um, and so we're going to be able to help them out. And a few other things, we're going to be uh, helping out our local uh, police department. So we got a lot of stuff coming up and we're looking forward uh, to that. And really, uh, we, we hear at Wellhouse really try to center around uh, three things. The first thing is belong to family. We believe that Jesus reminds us that in him, uh, we uh, together as the church are uh, our family, that, that we have different gifts, but we work together uh, to build one another up and to, uh, and to get to know him better. And so uh, we, we search to try to belong to family together, uh, that we try to bless our community, that, that that Jesus reminds us that he didn't come to be served, but to serve. And so we're called to do the same thing, to bless our community uh, in, in various ways we try to do that. And the last thing is to become like Christ. Uh, that's so vital. It's not enough to do good things, right? Doing good things is good. But ultimately, we're called to be imitators of Christ, like dearly loved children. So we want to encourage you uh, in your walk, uh, to, to be more like Christ in everything that you do. We are kicking off a new series uh, today. We just ended one in prayer. And oddly enough, today, as we kind of segue into a new series, we're going to start with a prayer. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn open to Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, if you don't have uh, a, a Bible on you, you can go to the Version Bible app and actually search out events and wellhouses on there. You can follow along with all the message notes and scriptures right there for you. Uh, but we're going to be picking up today in Ephesians chapter chapter 3, starting in verse uh, 14. And to kind of preface, if you don't know anything about Ephesians or uh, any of the story that we're going to be talking about today, uh, there's a guy and his name was Saul. And Saul uh, actually persecuted the church. Uh, he, he, he believed that they were kind of leading people in a dangerous uh, way uh, off of what they had known as the law from God, and, and it was a threat to the religious leaders at the time, and so he was okay persecuting the church. Uh, but then God opened his eyes and recognized that, hey, listen, th this is my son. He's leading, you know, just this Jesus character. Is, he's leading people in a relationship, all people in a relationship to me. And so 
Saul, changed his name to Paul, and then he became a leader in the church. And he's actually helping people know how to become more like Christ. So Paul uh, winds up traveling around and he's teaching churches and he's teaching Christians how to better follow Christ. And one of uh, those, those groups of people is in a town called Ephesus. And so we have this letter that he wrote to a church in Ephesus we call Ephesians. It was just a letter to them. It was a letter to encourage them. It was a letter to teach them. It was a letter to instruct them. And in the middle of the letter, actually, Paul writes a prayer. We get to see a little bit of of Paul's prayer life. And let me just encourage you, uh, if you have kids or grandkids, If you have people in your life that you care about, this might be a really great prayer to learn. Uh, The church is starting up and, and, and Paul is trying to encourage them. This is what he says, Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So what's Paul going to kneel before the Father for? He's going to tell you. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. This is Paul's prayer uh, to the church in Ephesus. We get a glimpse behind it today, but there's so much in this that over the next several weeks, we're going to kind of be unpacking what Paul is talking about because I'm telling you, it really is countercultural to what we believe about. God and what we believe about ourselves. And in fact, I think today, really, my, my thought processes today, and, and, and for those of you who kind of saw on Facebook, we're kind of, over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about, you know, what is God calling us to do here at Wellhouse over the next many years, what we feel like God is leading us to do. But before we even get there, I think it's really important for us to understand this God whom we serve. Is if we don't get that, then everything else really seems impossible. It seems improbable. It seems too big, too great, uh, too monumental, too hard, too, too daunting of a task. I think this is interesting. Uh, as Paul begins his prayer, I don't know if you caught this in verse 14. He says, for this reason. Paul is praying because of something. And we don't want to miss this. There's something that's uh, precipitating Paul's prayer. And the thing that's precipitating really is the church is, is growing, but it's got some challenges. 
the, the church is, 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 is kind of on the move. And at the same time, there, there are some daunting tasks before them. See, at, at previous to this church movement, really the only relationship that people had with God was, uh, was through the Jewish nation. They were God's chosen people, and God had spoken through Abraham. And if you're familiar with some of the Old Testament, he's spoken through Moses, and he led his people into a promised land, but it was really select to the, to the nation of Israel. But since Christ all of a sudden, we, we see Gentiles are welcomed in there. In fact, the Bible says they're grafted in, that there are these people who, who Christ died for. We, we find out through all, that all are invited. And so Paul begins to reach out and, and he begins to talk to the Gentiles about this Jesus and this God whom, who loves them. But he recognizes that this is a challenge. And so it's for this very reason that it's a challenge and there's a, there's, a, there's a learning curve, there's a growing opportunity, there seems like there's a whole lot of mess to waddle through and what all do we have to follow from old school and what do we have to follow now and how do we actually do this thing and how do we flourish in a way that we've never really understood before? How does all of this make sense? And Paul says, well, before I can do that for you, I need to pray for you. And so I'm going to pray a, a, a few specific things. And here's what's interesting. I don't know if you caught this in Paul's prayer, but really as Paul begins to pray, he describes some of the characteristics of God in a couple, and uh, some of them in multiple ways. There's a couple of key words that kind of come out over and over and over again as Paul praise and they're in the characteristic of who God is. It's not just what he does, it's who he is. The first thing is this, that God is loving. And I don't know about you, but I grew up in a, in a time and in a, 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 a church culture where we didn't hear a lot about God's love, right? I knew, I knew that Jesus was always watching me. I think I told you several months ago, there's a picture of Jesus in all of the Bible classrooms. You know, it's kind of like this all-seeing eye that was always waiting for you to mess up and, you know, judge you quickly uh, whenever. So we kind of ate the goldfish crackers and drank the juice and kind of kept one eye back on Jesus. So uh, who's watching who here, right? Uh, and that was kind of the way that I grew up. I didn't really understand a whole lot about God's love for us until I got a little bit older. And then I realized that the Bible is chocked full, both Old and New Testament, of God's love for you. And see, here's the thing. For some of us, I was blessed to grow up in a family where both of my parents uh, would tell me multiple times, still do to this day, uh, we love you. We love you. In fact, this week I got to spend some time with, with my mother and my grandmother. And uh, my grandma's home watching today. She's, she'll be 91. Sorry, Grandma. She'll be 91 uh, in October. She's awesome. Yeah, that's right. She's awesome. She's great. Uh, and I got to write this sermon this week with her sitting uh, by my side, which was not the way I typically write sermons. But that's, that's, it was interesting and fun. I got to grow up in that kind of family. And I don't know about you. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you grew up in a family where things were harsh and you never heard an I love you. 
And if that's true, I want you to know that you have a heavenly Father who loves you so much. In fact, John 3.16, probably the most well-known verse, right? And you see guys in the stands at football games, they have the sign, right? John 3.16, for God so loved the world. And here's the crazy thing is that the world is weird. <laughs> the world is jacked up, right? You don't have to look too far to see that we got some problems in the world. And yet, here's the crazy thing is that we have scripture that says, listen, as weird as it is, as crazy as it is, as messed up as it is, as tormented as it is, God looks down and he says, I love you. And in some strange way, I get that. If you have kids, you might relate to this. Your kid at three, four, five years old, have ever brought you this concoction of things that they made just for you? And maybe it's edible-ish, right? And like, it's for you. And you're like, all right, because I love you. You know, I, here we go. Because it doesn't matter the mess. It matters the person behind the mess. And that might be true of you today. It doesn't matter your mess. It matters the person behind your mess. And what we know from Paul over and over and over and over again. In fact, he says this, uh, that you may have uh, power together with God's people, together with the church, as you gather together to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ in fact, he says that your knowledge can't even grasp it. You, you, could, you could struggle your whole life to try to understand how much God loves you, and you will never get there. But that's my prayer for you is that you'll constantly seek that out. In fact, we know that it's not just that God loves us. Later on, John writes in 1 John chapter 4, he says, God is love. That's just who he is. Another word that, that jumps out that Paul writes again over and over, if you look at this just small section of Scripture, is that God is powerful. There is power uh, that, that God brings to the table. And again, th throughout Old Testament and New Testament, God isn't just loving, he's powerful. This phrase uh, repeats throughout Old, Old Testament, New Testament, that God is the Lord of hosts. I didn't know exactly what that meant. I, at, when I was a young kid growing up, the only host I was familiar with was a host of a party. So I just thought he was the party guy, right? I mean, like, he's like, hey, come on over. We got drinks. We got snacks. I'm the Lord of hosts, right? That's not exactly what that, that term means. The term is actually representing that, that he has a host of armies, that he's the, he's the collector of the, the, the army of God, that he has power behind him. In fact, when, when uh, Jesus was tempted, when he, when he was uh, tempted by Satan, it says he could have called 10,000 angels, right? He could, have, he could have summoned the host of, of all of heaven, and he would have had the power to, to defeat Satan. He would have had the power to get himself out of any situation, that, that God's power is truly limitless. And that power is something that, as Paul talks about here, is something that rests in our inner being. That's tough. 
Because I don't know about you, but sometimes there are situations I'm in where I feel pretty powerless. In fact, I've been in situations over and over again in my life where I've been reminded how powerless I feel. And yet, as Paul prays, he says, I pray out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. He says, listen, I I want you to walk around, in fact, he says this later, with the fullness of God in you. That you're not depleted in anything. Now, we may not walk around like Samson, right? Who I'm convinced was one of the scrawniest, nerdiest uh, looking guys ever. I really am convinced of this. I don't know if you know much about the story of Samson, but... uh, if, if you know anything about it, he was like the strongest guy that there ever was. And what was the question that kept coming up over and over again is, where do you get your strength from? Now, you don't ask that at the guy at the gym who, you know, has 24-inch pythons, right? I mean, like, because you say, well, you get your strength from your muscles. I'm convinced that guy was like the size of a pencil, right? I'm, I'm convinced he, a strong wind would have blown him over. And yet, through the power of Christ in him, he was able to do some really amazing things. I don't think that that's what Paul is talking about. That would be really cool. I think what Paul is referencing in the power of Christ is that there is a strong hold in us, not of sin, but of Christ. That no matter what comes our way, we are so rooted in something more powerful than this world. That no matter what winds of change come, no matter what trial happens, we are rooted in a powerful God who we turn to daily, no matter what happens. The other thing that Paul brings up over and over and over again is this God of generosity. I don't know if you caught this in verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches... This God who has abundance, and in fact, he wants to give abundantly. I think that's what love is. Love is an opportunity to give generously. That's what we do when we love somebody. We go over and above. In fact, John 3.16 says that, right? For God so loved that he gave That's what love does. He's generous. This this verse that we're going to be kind of concentrating on over the next several weeks together, I love this verse. And if you're not familiar with it, uh, become familiar with it. It's Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him, this is God, who is able to do immeasurably more. Stop right there. The, the, The Greek word immeasurably... Uh, is, is really a word that Paul kind of made up. Now, it may have been around. He may have been familiar with it, but we don't have an actual Greek word for it. It's actually a culmination of three Greek words. So if you go to look it up, you'll find that there's no word for that. There's, Paul just put together several words to say, you're not going to believe it. In fact, what it really translates is as uh, abundantly beyond abundant beyond. That's what it says. Immeasurably more, the word more means beyond. And so he says, it's beyond, abundantly, beyond, beyond. And you're like, 
well, Paul, you should go back and learn how to write. You're making up words again, right? This, is, this doesn't make sense. And I think Paul would say, that's exactly right. It doesn't make sense. I'm making up a word here to tell you that this doesn't make sense. What God is able to do will blow your mind. It's beyond what you can comprehend. We don't have a word for it. So I'm going to have to make up a word for it to help you understand how big it is. And this is how he references God's generosity. Did you catch that? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than what? All we can ask or imagine. You see, we are the recipients of something that Paul says I can't even describe to you. It's bigger than big. It's whatever the biggest of the bigger of the, the big thing is. Several months ago, my wife and I, we went to, uh, to Honduras. We, we try to go once a year on a mission trip there. It's just a great reminder uh, for us of all the things that God has given to us and blessed us with. And it's a reminder for us to, to be the hands and feet of God in, in our world today. We got to go out one day, and uh, we actually went to a restaurant. That's pretty rare for us to do while we're there. We got to go to a restaurant, and it's always interesting. If you're like me, I speak no Spanish at all. I mean, it's, I won't even try because it's embarrassing. Um, we're there, and it's interesting to try to do that when you're, uh, everything is not in English at all. But there was one thing that was in English, and that's what we ordered. <laughs> Because it intrigued me. It, that's really why I ordered it. It intrigued me. It was like the, uh, you'll have to help me out if I get this wrong. It was like the mega, grande, big, extra large, me mega pack burrito. I mean, it was like, it, it had like so many descriptors of how big this thing was. Um, and I was like, well, we have to see what that is. I mean, that's like, you know. And what do they communicate? And it was. It was, we, we sat down, the two of us ate it. There was some for everybody else. I mean, it was. And they're like, listen, we need to communicate to you that you're going to need three people to carry this back to your table. I mean, what do, you put a, what do you put a name on that? And this is Paul. He says, like, listen, I need you to know that when you ask God for something, when there's something on your heart, if there's something, you, you don't even want to speak it into existence. It's just rattling around in your brain or it's rattling around your heart, but you don't want to say it out loud because you think everybody else would think you're silly or stupid or coming up with crazy ideas. I just need you to know that there is a God who can do beyond, way beyond, abundantly beyond, beyond, abundantly beyond, beyond that. And we say, man, that sounds way too good to be true because it's hard to accept an idea of an overabundant God when we buy into a scarcity mindset. Have you ever been there before? It's like, man, wouldn't it be nice? If, yeah, but, you know, we've been there before. Man, what if God would, yeah, but that's probably just not going to happen in this day and age. I, I would be so wonder, yeah, but there's all these things. See, scarcity is not having enough, a limited supply, 
It's almost used up. It can't happen. It's missing out. It's lacking something. And when we have a scarcity mindset, it's hard to accept that we serve and we are in relationship with a God who says, man, it's beyond what you can understand. John chapter 10, I love, I love the gospel of John. And John chapter 10 is one of my favorite chapters in, in the Bible. And Jesus talking about his relationship with us. And he describes himself as a shepherd, as the good shepherd. We get to be the role of the sheep. And in some ways, I resent that. The sheep are kind of dumb. They have no natural defenses at all. Most sheep, if, if you leave them out in open field, open pasture, and there's water by, will actually drown themselves. It's true. They don't know how to swim very well. Their wool gets heavy with water, and they just sink to the bottom and drown. It's true. They can't defend themselves against any kind of wild animal, and they will notoriously put themselves in compromising positions to their own death. And Jesus says, I'm the shepherd and you're the sheep. <laughs> you're like, cool. I wish I could have been another animal, something, a bear. I don't know, you know, an earthworm sounds good at this point, but. And he says, listen, <laughs> The reason why you're the sheep is because you need a shepherd. You need, listen, need a shepherd. Left to your own, you're, you're hosed. I mean, left to your own, it's not good. Left to your own, you would probably drown yourself in your own self, right? Like that's just how it happened for you. But I'm the good shepherd. And then he says, listen, there are other people who have come and they try to fill my role, but they can't fill it perfectly. And they know it and you know it. But I'm the good shepherd. John chapter uh, 10 verse 7, he says, therefore Jesus said again, because we need again, don't we? Very truly, I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. And all who've come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I'm the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. They'll come in, and they'll go out, and they'll find pasture. The thief, listen to this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. What's the thief come to do? Come on now. Steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to remind you over and over again, it's not enough. There's a limited supply. It's almost used up. It can't happen. You're missing out. You're lacking something. It's almost over for you. And Jesus says, oh, that's what the thief comes to do. But I have, listen to this, I have come that they may have life and have it what? Abundantly, to the full, to the max. This word resurfaces and says, it's more than you can imagine. What did Jesus come for for you? Come on now, church. That you may have life abundantly. See, I know why you're hesitant in that because it doesn't feel that way. And that's why we're doing this sermon right here. Because it's hard for us in a scarcity mindset to accept an abundant God. And until we do that, until we open our minds to the fact that we serve a God who is more than 
that we'll never live into the purpose we've been called to. This is huge. So therefore, maybe this week, you walk around with this statement, that in Christ I have abundant life. And I know what you're thinking. You have no idea what's going into my life right now. It's crazy. It's turned upside down. It's not the way I expected. We came home last night from a trip away. Uh, We got to see family and friends. For the last week, we came home. And like, there parts of our house were without power and parts of it were, you know. And of course, it's always like the things you need the most, you know. So we walk in, it's like, no power for the fridge. Cool. That's not good, you know. No power for laundry, which a family of eight, after being gone a week, you're like, well, uh, what smells better than other things? You know, that, that's how you decide. Don't get too close today, right? Um, <laughs> there's always something. And that can become a mindset for you. It doesn't always feel like we have life abundant. Sometimes we have to make steps towards seeing the abundance before we feel it. See, for us, scarcity is focused on what you lack, what you don't have. It's defeatism. It's pessimism. My wife will tell you I struggle with that. I'm I'm always there to say uh, all the bad things that could potentially happen, right? That's me. My finances are not enough. I can't give. I don't have enough. I need to make a little more. If I just had a little more, then I'd be safe. My spouse isn't enough. They're not fulfilling the needs that I have enough that I would would be fulfilled in my life. My family is not enough. They're, They're not really supporting me in the way that I thought they should. My work isn't enough. I don't feel fulfilled in what I do. I don't have enough time in my life. If I just had a little more time at the end of the week to get the things done that I need to do, And the list can go on and on and on of what we lack. And if you can relate to that, then I want to teach you a word today. A new word, maybe for most of you. The word is dianu. Everybody say it with me. Dianu. Dianu is a Hebrew word. It goes all the way back to the Passover. And the word really means it would have been enough. It would have been enough. Uh, And Dianu is focused on what you have already been given. And so what would happen uh, with the Hebrew people right after uh, after they were released from Egypt, remember that that God uh, told them to celebrate the Passover, what he had done for them. And this is huge because it's a reminder for them that God has been enough. That no matter what struggle they're going through, God has been abundant in what he gave to them. And so they sang this song as a part of the Passover. They still do to this day. And I want to read you. I thought about just giving you the definition, and I did. It would have been enough. That's it. But I want to read you how it plays out for those in this lineage, these these people who celebrate the Passover uh, year after year and has been for thousands of years now, they'll sing this song. And it goes like this. I won't sing it for you because I want you to stay. (laughs) If he had brought us out of Egypt, 
and had not carried out judgments against them, Daya knew it would have been enough. If he had carried out judgments against them and not their idols, Daya knew it would have been enough. If he had destroyed their idols and had not smitten their firstborn, Daya knew it would have been enough. If he had smitten their firstborn and not given us their wealth, Daya knew it would have been enough. If he had given us their wealth and had not split the sea for us, Daya knew it would have been enough. If he had split the sea for us and had not taken us through on dry land, Daya knew it would have been enough. If he had taken us through the sea on dry land and had not drowned our oppressors in it, Daya knew it would have been enough. If he had drowned our oppressors in it and not supplied our needs in the desert for 40 years, Daya knew it would have been enough. If he had supplied our needs in the desert for 40 years and had not fed us for the manna, Daya knew it would have been enough. If he had fed us manna and had not given us the Shabbat, Daya knew it would have been enough. If he had given us the Shabbat but had not brought us before Mount Sinai, Daya knew it would have been enough. If he had brought us before Mount Sinai and not given us the Torah, Daya knew it would have been enough. If he had given us the Torah but had not given us, uh, brought us into the land of Israel, Daya knew it would have been enough. If he had brought us into the land of Israel and not built the holy temple for us, Daya knew it would have been enough. See, I wonder if the scarcity is that we live already in so much overabundance that we don't always recognize it. See, Dianu is focused on what you have already been given. And until we recognize that we have already been living in abundance, our eyes and hearts won't be open to the abundant life of God. I don't know if you've ever taken a trip with young kids. Always interesting. Remember early years, all of our kids were smaller and we would scrape together what little bit of money we had because you can have a lot of money or a lot of kids, but you can't have both. <laughs> we have six, so there you go. And we would scrape together every little bit of money that we, we had, and we would go on a vacation. And what our kids didn't know, it was like it was every bit of money we had. Our kids were like, can we do this? Can we do this? I'm like, you're living in the abundance right now. I mean, that's, that's what we have. I wonder if you might be living in the abundance that God has given you already and maybe you don't know it. What if this week you go back through Dianu for you? And you say to yourself, God, it would have been enough if I woke up this morning, but I woke up next to my spouse. It would have been enough this morning that, that I woke up, but I woke up with my health. It would have been enough this morning if I woke up with my health and with my spouse, but you provided even more than that. We ate today. It would have been enough if we ate today, but we had transportation to get to a church of believers. That would have been enough, but we gathered here today, and you spoke to us again today, and that would have been enough, but you continue over and over and over again, and you're more than abundance for my life.
See, here's the key to abundant life. See, we think it's about us. Man, I'm not, you know, it's like, did you ever watch the show DuckTales, right? Uh, or you have kids that watch the show DuckTales, and there was a Scrooge McDuck, and he would jump into the vat of money and swim around and spit it out, you know? And I was like, man, that'd be cool, um, as long as the money was clean, you know, like. And I think for some of us, it's that kind of version of abundance. And Jesus calls us to a different kind of abundance. And this is huge. Don't miss it. Abundance is focused on what you can give away. And that's the life that Christ calls us to. See, as we look at the vision of what Wellhouse is, and it's not to have all the greatest things. It's not to have all the nicest things so we can walk in and enjoy it. Listen, that would be great but that's not what God calls us to. He calls us to an abundant life where we are focused more on what we give away. So we give away our time. And we give away our resources. And we give away our heart. And we give away our energy. Because we recognize Dianu, it would have been enough. If we just woke up today, but he gave us so much more that we will live in abundance. As, as Wellhouse Church, Paul's prayer is our prayer that we would come to know and understand the love, the power, the generosity of our God. Because there is nothing, listen to me, there is nothing that is too big for our God to accomplish. There is nothing. It may seem impossible, and some of the things that we may talk about over the next couple of weeks, you're going to be like, yeah, but and I'm going to remind you, that's scarcity mentality. That's the, that's the mind of, of the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but you serve an abundant God who calls you to an abundant life, not for you, but to give it away. Over the last few weeks, we've been uh, telling you, we've been working with uh, Solomon Foundation has been beautiful, been a wonderful resource. And we told you we went through the pre-approval process. We've been waiting for that. And over the last week or so, we uh, found out that the Solomon Group has pre-approved us uh, to, to work with us. And that's wonderful news. That really truly is. Um, that doesn't mean the work stops there. Uh, there's a lot of work for us still to do in that pre-approval process. And a part of that is living into the abundant life. My question for you is, do you believe that? See, our vision is not to be bigger. Our question is to help others see, die anew. It would have been enough. It would have been enough just to show up, but God calls us to so much more. He calls us to an abundant life to make more disciples. It's not about numbers. We're not, we don't want to say, all right, hey, we have the most people at our church. It's about making disciples, people who truly want to transform to be more like Jesus. It's about being the hands and feet, showing the world a God who loves and serves and is generous. See, anybody can pull the focus back on them. And they make it all about themselves. That's not what we want.
We want to do everything we do for and only for the glory of God so that others can see Him in us and we fade to the background. And so if you are with us in this journey, then continue on, my friends. We are so excited about what God has in store for us. And we have some thoughts and we have some ideas and there's still some unknowns. That's kind of the way it is when you follow Christ. But one thing we do know is that God has called us to live abundantly and we will. Not for ourselves, but for those around us. And so as we do, we pray for you. Our leadership and our shepherds and our staff. We pray for you that you may find abundant life that you already have. And if you struggle in the scarcity, then may you remember these words. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and give you peace. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with tremendous joy. May you be swept away in God's love for you and transformed through the Holy Spirit's power within you. Thanks be to the only God, our Savior, who's unparalleled and unchanging, who is matchless and merciful, who's supreme and sufficient, who is before all things and through all things and in all things, both now and forever. Amen. Would you stand with us as we continue in worship?